We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Friends, it's good to be with you as we finish up this series, our vision series about what it means for us to be part of the Branches community, what it means for us to be people who want to be more together in Houston. And as we've talked about over the past few weeks, we have a how behind that shared mission that we have. We have three core values, belonging, daring, and abiding. And so we began just a couple of weeks ago talking about what it means for us to begin and end with belonging, not for people to assess uh, us or for us to assess people, whether or not they can be part of what we're doing, but that we begin with belonging. If you come, you belong. That's the way of Jesus, that he draws all people to himself, and we want to begin with that quality. And then last week we talked about daring, what it means to step out in vulnerability, to take some risks, to reach people in our city, to be thermostats, not thermometers, to set the tone and the temperature for the way that we wanna reach people around us. And this week we're talking about abiding, this word of Jesus, it's translated a few different ways, but in this passage, John 15, kind of continuing from where we began, the beginning of this month, with Jesus's teaching about what it means to abide, to make our home in, to stick our lives to his. That's our kind of deeper value of how we want to be in the world together. So hear this uh, from John's gospel, these words of Jesus that he taught his disciples. In John 15, it says this, as the father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. I give you these commandments so that you love each other. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for these words of encouragement, words of direction and instruction, words of comfort that as you abide in us, you call us to abide in you through Jesus. Help us do that. Help us learn what it means to do that together. Help us have the uh, equipment and the tools and the resources we need to draw closer to you and to remind ourselves of your great love for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just this last Sunday, uh, we got to do one of my favorite things as being a pastor, just one of my favorite things. Because I'm a dog person, I love the blessing of the animals, the pet blessing that churches all over our city and really all over the world do to celebrate the feast day of St. Francis. People bring their pets, and maybe if they can't bring their pet because it misbehaves, they may bring its collar or a picture of them or something that reminds them of their pet for us to bless them, to thank God for their creation and their companionship and friendship, to thank God for their life and what they contribute to their families and the love that they share of having this animal in their house and 
Uh, it's really a beautiful thing. It's also just a, a really insightful thing that being a pastor, you know, we're standing out there outside and, and people are bringing their dogs to us. And I see a person and I see them with their dog on their leash and there's this beautiful moment where I'm like, oh, like that makes sense. <laughs> like it makes sense that that's their dog. Like their dog maybe even kind of looks like them and has the same manner as they do. And it, it kind of matches people and their, their pets, they kind of match together. And, and we don't know if it's really a, like a, they're, t- they're taught that thing or if they, they're formed in that way, if they're uh, bred to be a certain manner, I think some of that is true. But we also do know that pets do take on our um, uh, attitudes and our dispositions and the ways that we interact in the world. That if you're a more nervous person and your dog may be more nervous, if you're a more chill person, your dog or cat may be a little more chill, that they take on these qualities. And we, we know this to be true, like with my dog, Montgomery, she's very sweet and warm and kind and friendly, and that's all Landon. Like, none of that is me. She's also a little bit neurotic. That's the part she got from me. And, like, we know that our animals take on our disposition. And just thinking about this from last week at the uh, pet blessing and thinking about this quality of abide, I'm reminded from, from that example and from the examples in my own life of this kind of phrase that maybe you've heard at work or in a leadership conversation or just in reading a book, that often these skills and ways of being in the world are caught more than they are taught. That it's not just like a list of things that you learn and then you act a different way, but by being around a person that possesses this quality, you start to catch on to it. I know my dad would say this about my friends. You know, if there were friends that I had that he didn't quite like or wanted me maybe to get rid of or that were a bad influence on me, he'd remind me like, you know, you are who you hang out with. Like, those things are caught, not taught. Like, if you spend enough time around these people, you'll take on those qualities. Or I had a guitar teacher at the beginning of the pandemic, and he would say that same thing. Like, yeah, you can practice, but it's one of these things that you you just catch over time, like this ear that you need, this way of listening to music, this way of playing music. It's more caught than it is taught. And it's also in how we speak and how we move and act in the world. When I studied abroad in college, Uh, I was in a group at church, a study group, and they always wanted me to read and pray, whatever uh, we had to read and pray for that week's discussion. And I thought they were just being nice and welcoming, but then I discovered it's because they liked my accent. And my dad's from Georgia and my mom is from Kansas, like I never really thought I had an accent. I thought I was kind of somewhere in between those two places. Uh, But one of the women in that group, she said to me, and this is, you know, my best British accent, she said, you sound like Britney Spears. Uh, I didn't think I sound like Britney Spears. I still don't think I sound like Britney Spears, but that's the way she thought I sounded. And it's like these things that we catch and we're, we're un- unaware of them. Like people think that we are or talk or speak or act a certain way and we've caught these things over time. And it's really the premise of like one of my favorite movies, I can confess, uh, Mean Girls. Like Lindsay Lohan, she is you know with another friend group and she starts to hang out Uh, with these mean girls, kind of for nefarious purposes, and then she becomes a mean girl. You are who you hang out with. It's more caught than it is taught. Like, who you surround yourself with, who you connect your life to matters. C.S. Lewis, you know, famous author, Chronicles of Narnia, Christian thinker, philosopher, Oxford professor, wasn't a Christian. And then he started to hang out with this group of people. Now we call them the Inklings. There's this group that they read together, studied together. And one of them was J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. And that motivated and transformed C.S. Lewis's life, that relationship. You are who you hang out with. 
it's more caught than it is taught. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage from John's gospel. In the translation we read today, in John 15, uh, it says this, as the Father loved me, I too have loved you, and he says, remain in my love. Other translations say abide, or stay, or live in, or connect to, but frequently it's abide. That's our core value. What, what it really means, this word minnow, it has a kind of physicality to it that you stick to, that you remain in, that you even make your home in, that you center yourself in. You rearrange the furniture of your life around this central idea. One of my pastor friends, Chad, says you want to stick so closely to Jesus, you want to walk so closely behind him that you step on his flip-flops. And it comes from a, another image of like first century rabbis and their disciples would say, you want to be so close to your rabbi, you want to spend so much time with your rabbi that you're covered in the dust of his feet. That you're so close that you start to pick up on these qualities of him. You start to be transformed by his teaching and the way that he speaks and the way he treats other people and the way that he thinks even and the patterns of his brain and his mind and his teaching. You want to be so close that you're just covered in who that person is. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That Jesus, as the rabbi of these disciples, and also as the rabbi of us, as, as his disciples now in the modern day, to stick so close to him that we're just covered in who he is and our life is transformed by it. And there's this, this continuity, too, from, from the Father to Jesus and from Jesus to us that eternally the Father loves Jesus and eternally Jesus loves us and we're all connected, that, that the Father abides in Jesus and Jesus abides in us and vice versa. We abide in Jesus and likewise Jesus abides in the Father. There's this kind of dynamic relationship that as we stick our lives to Jesus' life, our life is changed. It's kind of a mystery, too, because... On one hand, Jesus is this concrete character that we find in Scripture, this concrete person who lived in the first century. We know these physical things about him, but also Christians have wanted to say for centuries that he's also this concrete person, uh, and also this cosmic person, that he's alive, that he rose from the dead, that he's alive today, that he's able to speak and to interact with people all over the world in the present. So we kind of hold both of those things in tension. And that's why as we move to this being one of our core values, we move from kind of broad to narrow. The belonging is like the doors flung wide open, broad, everybody is welcome in, no matter who you are or what you think or what you believe or where you've been or where you're going, you belong. And then narrowing a little bit more of it, every, everybody belongs, but we have this kind of shared mission of doing things that are daring and risky to reach people in our city, to kind of set the temperature of the world around us. And maybe there's some people that they're uncomfortable with that. And so it, it narrows a little bit. Maybe people don't want to participate in that part of what we're doing together. And then even narrower to this particular person, cosmic and concrete, Jesus of Nazareth from the first century who lived back then and lives in us now and calls us to abide in him. Not just remember what he did in the past, not just read about him, but to connect our lives presently to him. But the narrowing isn't an exclusionary thing, it's an invitation. Like, give it a shot. Jesus is worth placing your life in. Jesus is worth connecting yourself to. Jesus is worth rearranging the furniture of your heart around him so that your life is transformed by love. And likewise, the people that are connected to you, their life is transformed by your love that comes from him. 
There's a couple of kind of clarifications we need to make about what this means to abide because it's, it's kind of, uh, again, this mysterious kind of nebulous thing and we have to attach concrete things to it to approach it because it's such a difficult concept, I think, to understand of oh, how do we make this a value as part of our community. First, we're kind of, it's countercultural, it's counterformation in some way because it's organic, not mechanic. We live in a society that kind of requires of us to kind of produce, 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 be productive, create something, crank out the next thing. And Jesus' metaphors all over the New Testament are organic, are agricultural, that it's about cultivation. We talked about a few weeks ago, you don't stand at the foot of a fruit tree and say, grow more fruit, that's not how it works. You cultivate the environment so that more fruit grows. And as Jesus says, fruit that lasts. It's organic, not mechanic. And it's also about internal rhythms, not external force. Dallas Willard said the opposite of grace is not uh, effort, it's earning. We still try, but we try internally to connect ourselves to the life of Jesus, and it's this day in, day out, Eugene Peterson says, long obedience in the same direction. That we make these micro choices to connect our lives and remind ourselves that Jesus' life is connected to ours. And also, it's not a bait and switch. Nobody here, Michelle or Carrie or myself, are trying to trick you into having a different sort of moral life or to believe the things that we do or to have the exact same opinions that we do, but it's about centering your life individually. What would you do, uh, what would Jesus do if he were you? That is taking this internally to who you are and attaching your life, not my life or somebody else's life to Jesus, but your own life. It's not to trick you into believing or doing certain things, but an encouragement that, that, that this true life, this new life, this joyous, complete life as Jesus describes it, is offered to you individually. Uh, if we center our lives around Jesus, we're making a decision. If we abide in the vine, if we connect ourselves to Jesus' life, we're making a decision because whether we like it or not, we're abiding in someone or something. We've rearranged the furniture of our life around someone or something, some idea, some figure, some book, some ideology, some set of beliefs, whatever it is. Even if we think that we don't, we do. <laughs> And to abide in Jesus is a choice against some other thing that we may be centering our life around. I want to give us an encouragement because I know and I want to say really clearly that this, this quality of abiding, this core value of who we are is simple because it's about the single person, Jesus, who we can read about in the New Testament. But it's not easy. It's not simple in the sense of like it's like kind of low bar. It's simple because it's centered and as I said, narrow on this one person, but it's not easy because it requires effort day in, day out to direct and redirect our minds and our hearts back to who Jesus is. And it's difficult for a few different reasons. It's diff difficult because we forget. Uh, over and over I have conversations with people who need to be reminded and I myself need to be reminded that that God loves me and desires to be with me. And he's not just a set of ideas somewhere else, but is closer to myself than I am to myself. We have to be reminded. It also asks of us this kind of vulnerability that we have to be uh, connected with other people. Jesus's way of transformation was connection. And we know in our marriages or friendships or work or our neighborhood that connection is messy, but that's the way of Jesus's transformation is to connect with him and to connect with one another. That's what makes it difficult. And also three, I think one of the biggest barriers and one that's a barrier for me is uh, uh, it asks of us to um, believe something about who Jesus is. More than just his historical reality, more than just uh, a name on a page and a piece of paper and a book, 
but something about the reality that Jesus exists in now, the center of reality that holds all of it together and draws all of creation to himself to reconcile. We have to believe something radical about who Jesus, not just who Jesus was, but who Jesus is and who he will be in generations to come. To abide in Jesus is to attach ourselves to someone who Christians want to say, and I believe is alive and active and desiring us to come close to him. That's what abiding is. And I think that's an obstacle. It's an obstacle for me sometimes to move it from my head to my heart, move it from concept to communion. We abide in Jesus because we don't believe he's just something to emulate, a character in a book, but someone who is present with us even now and present with us at the table when we come to it. So as we think about what it means to abide, there's a lot of different ways that we could do this. One of the ways I think the first step we should take is to recognize that there's no solitary Christian, that we do it together in community. We're invited to be in circles and not just rows, but to challenge one another and hold each other accountable to what it means to abide. So I'd encourage you to find a group of people if you're not already in one, to grow in your faith together and to remind each other primarily that you abide in Jesus' love as his love abides in you. And it brings some completeness, some newness to your life. But also, just to get really granular, really concrete, if you go to our website today, brancheshtx.org, you'll see a button that says Abide on it. And we've provided and will continue to add resources, books, podcasts, apps, ways that you can abide in the vine. Just to take those small steps. It's not, it's not breakthrough. It's day in, day out choosing when you wake up in the morning, maybe not to not doom scroll on your phone, but to choose that I, you know, I'm gonna take this step to abide, to remind myself that Jesus' love is planted in me and I can plant my life in him. So I'd encourage you to check out that page and also just a personal connection to connect with me or with Michelle or with Carrie or one of the people on the leadership team to abide, uh, to ask that question, okay, I, I tried this, that this didn't work, I wanna know more about that, I want somebody to pray with me, I wanna have this conversation, what does it mean to abide? To connect with someone to ask that question and just to raise the question out loud with someone. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's caught more than it is taught. It's not just a concept, it's not just an idea, it's a person, a person that's inviting all of us as a community, as branches, as a, a city in Houston, as individuals, to center our life around him, to rearrange the furniture of our lives and of our hearts around him with the promise, and and this is a risk that we have to take, with the promise that it changes everything. I believe if we do that individually, and of course if we do do that as a community and branches, we will see transformation if we just give it a shot. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the invitation to abide in your love as you abide in us. Help us take that next step, whatever it might be, to connect with other people in a group, uh, to find one of those resources, to begin a daily rhythm of prayer, of checking in with somebody else, to find somebody else to hold us accountable. We just ask that you would give us the wisdom and insight to know what that next step is. Above all, walk with us in this journey. Remind us in whatever way you can, whatever senses we need to experience you, that you abide with us even now. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Cool. I think it was better than my in-person one.